Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Preacher Main Podcast with Jamal Brown. And on this episode, it's all about the tie. The tie meaning tithing is essential. What y'all think? Let's talk about it. Tithing is maybe the most controversial religious topic out there because whether you're a believer or not, people will still give to a church or religious organization for various reasons. It's, whether that's taxes, for charity, random acts of kindness or whatever. The issue is whether people see it as a law, an obligation or a liberty principle. And I'll go ahead and say it up front. I'm absolutely in favor of tithing and believe it is essential. And my intention on this episode is to give you what God said in his word first and foremost, but also give you my preacher main analysis of what that means. First set of scriptures comes from Genesis 14, 17, verses 17 through 23. And a brief background of the scene is Abram which is obviously later renamed Abraham by God, he goes to rescue his nephew Lot with 318 trained men that were born into his household. He wisely divided these men up and attacked their enemies and basically ran them out of town. Abram recovered all the goods, got his nephew Lot with all his possessions and all the women and other captives. So we're going to start in verse 17. And unless I say different, it will be the translation will be new living unless I say something different. Uh, starting verse 17. After Abram returned from his victory over Kedolamir, I don't know if I'm saying that right. And all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavai. That is the king's valley and Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God most high brought. Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. And this is what he said. He said, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give back my people who were captured but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I would not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belonged to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. And so this is basically the first time, really in the word in the Bible, where tithing or a tenth because if people don't know tithe you know that that just means a tenth so in verse 20 when they said abram gave melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that's what they're talking about tithing so this is the first time all of this is presented in the bible and and just when you look at different parts of these verses like in verse um, 21 when he says the king of sodom Break that down for me. King Sodom means scorched place, place of fire and flames. And this is the king. And if you know anything about Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, what type of place that was. And so 
Uh, this king was not uh, looked upon favorably, I don't believe, by God or even by uh, Abram at this time. And so now could this meaning the king of Sodom, could this be a copy of our enemy, Satan, that tries to steal, kill and destroy from us? Think about that. The king of Sodom basically told Abram to keep the goods, which were the spores of battle for himself. But when you look at it, when you look at his reply, you know, I thought about this before when I used to read this, you know, back in the day. And it was like it seemed that Abram was kind of agitated, you know, when he was kind of talking to him. You know, he was like, I don't want you to take credit for this, that, you know, he was, you know, he seemed, you know, pretty offended back at his response. And so cause this is actually what Abram said. This is what I'm going to read is from the amplified translation from this. And this is what Abram said to the king of Sodom. I have raised my hand and sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, the creator and possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take anything that is yours from a thread to a sandal strap, like a sandal strap. Like he's like, I ain't taking nothing from you. That in itself is like, OK, this is. Who's this dude talking to? Because he's like, I, I don't want to I don't want nothing from you, not even a, a sandal strap. And he says, so you could not say I, the king of Sodom, have made Abram rich. So Abram was adamant not to keep any of the spoils belonging to the king of Sodom. You know, he said, I would take nothing except what my young men have eaten and the share of spoils belonging to the men, my allies who went with me. Let them take their share of spoils. and. I believe this is what Satan tries to do with us today in regards to the tenth or tithing. You know, he encouraged us to keep all our spoils, which is translates to now time like money possessions. And he makes it sound reasonable, you know, just like he was he was telling Abram in that he was just telling Abram, you know, hey, you earn that. Keep all your spoils. You know, same thing that Satan tries to push back with us today, like saying stuff like, like, hey, you earned it. You know, you've worked hard all week. That's yours. Keep it. You know, God doesn't need your money. Do what you want with it. And you just keep on making these pastors rich. And for what? You know, he seduces and convinces us that looking out for our own agenda should be priority. And after this in chapter 15, it's no coincidence that God then gave Abram a word through a vision. Then soon thereafter came the detail about the covenant he was making with him. See, and all this was before the law. And Abram, Abram, which later became Abraham, is the example of how we as believers now should operate in right relationship with God through faith. And I want to go to the next uh, scripture I want to look at in Romans 4. 13 that says clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. See, and in Romans, that is just trying to reiterate exactly the importance that Abraham had. And I want to go back to the next chapter where I was talking about before in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, I'm going to read this out of the uh, Amplified, starting with verse one. And it's saying after these things and when they're saying after these things, he's talking about all this stuff that happened with Melchizedek, him giving a tenth, you know, his conversation or his back and forth with King Sodom. 
you know, all that, the, the, the blessing that Melchizedek gave Abraham, you know, all this stuff. So in the beginning of chapter 15, when it's saying after these things, that's what they're referring to. He said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward for obedience shall be very great. Abram said, Lord, Lord God, what reward will you give me since I am leaving this world childless? And he who will be the owner and heir of my house is this servant, Elzer from Damascus. And Abram continues, since you have given no child to me, one, a servant born in my house is will be my is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man would not be your heir, but he sh- but he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. And the Lord brought Abram outside his tent into the night and said, look now, look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, so numerous shall your descendants be. Then Abram believed in, affirmed, trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast to the Lord. And he counted credit and credited it to him as righteousness, doing right in regard to God and man. So we see in here that after all these things, a vision came up upon Abram and, you know, and Abram was asking the Lord. And so this is this is a whole nother thing, a whole nother subject. But, you know, when people saying don't question God, da, 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 like when you look at the example, like Abram, he questioned God a few times. You know what I'm saying? Like more than a few times, just on just hey, So what about this, Lord? Because it's about a relationship. And so when you have a relationship with some people and you have a good rapport with somebody, you know, you can be upfront and be vulnerable with them and ask questions. And I want to go to verse uh, go to verse eight, start with verse eight. And that's going to be, I want to read that starting in the new living in verse eight in chapter 15 he said, but Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I would actually possess it, possess what the Lord said that he's, you know, will inherit and have all these descendants. And the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. And so, again, all of this was before the law. People can, and I know when I was reading all the three, the three-year-old heifers and all that stuff, and people that disagree with all this and the tithing will be, well, see, the see, they, you don't have to go get a three-year-old heifer and, and split them up and sacrifice them and do all this stuff. Okay, okay, calm down. I get it. I understand. But that's not what this is even about or what's going on. You know, people can get caught up in that, but Abram, at the end of the day, when you look at Abram just did what the Lord told him to do in order for him to get what he said, like in with us today, like today, if we have a relationship with the Lord and he gives us instructions, whatever that instruction may be, it would be wise to follow whatever he says, not because it's a law, but because of right relationship and 
you trust that he wouldn't steer us down that wrong path. And so when the Lord, you know, instructed him to, you know, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, there wasn't no law then, but that's just what he told him to do, you know? And so faith without works is dead. And so just like with us, if he gives us instruction, it would be good for us to do what the Lord has told us to do. And the next set of scriptures, I want to go into Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7. And basically Hebrews 7 is just reiterating what I went over in Genesis 14 going in, into 15 and starting with verse, starting with verse one. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God most high. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in the battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in the battle. Now, the law of Moses required that the priests who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God, kind of like us as believers, Christians, um, followers of um, Jesus Christ, body of Christ. We already receive the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. And we'll go to verse 11 in that same chapter, Hebrews 7. So. If the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? And on down in 15, this change has made has been made very clear since a different priest who was like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that could not be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And just a side note here, when the psalmist pointed out, that's actually in Psalms 110 verse four. And that was um, the psalmist at that time prophesying that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so since Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, and since we're descendants of Abraham, the father of our faith, why wouldn't we want to establish honoring our high priest, Jesus, like Abraham did his? Because we'll find out in the next stack of verses in Malachi the benefits from honoring and the consequences of ignoring it. And again, all of the responses and actions on Abraham's part during this time was before the law. 
was even established. Abraham operated from a relationship through faith, as I pointed out before and read in uh, Romans 4, 13. Now, let's go to Malachi. Now, this is the set of verses many pastors and many mockers of the tithing go to a lot, you know, because that whole I just remember people's voice back in the day. Will a man rob God? You know, people using voices like that to, you know, kind of mock and make fun of, you know, people that do tithe. And so I want to look at Malachi three, Malachi three and uh, starting with verse six. And he says, I am the Lord and I do not change. And I want to stop right there because I tried to look this up and like how many times in, in the word does God say this? Like, I'm the Lord. I do not change. I believe he said it also in uh, Numbers 23, uh, doing that whole situation. I don't want to get into that. You can go look that up yourself. That's in Numbers 23, uh, actually starting with Numbers uh, chapter 22, going into 23. And look at the whole context of, of that. But not too many places does he say this. And so when reading, starting out with these verses is setting it up. Because Lord is like, he's telling you whatever he's saying after this, he's saying, I am the Lord. I do not change. So everything after this, when he's finishing this thought, this is what he's referring to. I am the Lord. I do not change. And so that is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we never gone away? Like they basically saying like, Lord, like what, what are you saying? We ain't, we ain't never left. Like what you talking about? Like talking about return, return to me, you know, so I can return to you. Like, but they asking you this like, but Lord, like mm, this ain't that, you know, should in, the, in verse eight, it says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. And then the people, again, they say, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? It's like, Lord, what are you talking about? You're our Lord. You're you are everything. Like, what do you mean? We, we didn't cheat you. When did we cheat you? And this was the Lord's response. He said, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Let me go back to the ending of verse eight here. Or we're starting with verse nine. It says you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. And so I think a lot of people, oh, well, God put me under a curse and God cursed me. And okay, but have you ever thought about this? Like we're living in a in a in a broken world, in a world that, you know, Adam initiated and messed up when and Satan, you know, Satan has certain rights, spiritual rights here on earth that he can use. And so being under a curse could be necessarily, OK, with God putting something on you, it's we're living in a broken world where Satan has certain spiritual rights to use, which he used in the book of Job. That's a whole nother thing. And so you're under a curse. You're under a curse because. You are violating these principles. Satan has a right and Satan, you know, he he still kills and destroy. So you verse nine, you're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. 
10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the heavens. I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. He said, try it. Put me to the test. And again, with this, like how many times in the word does is the Lord like challenging us to try it, like put me to the test. To me, that's that's eye opening with that, because he's saying, put me to the test. And he said, your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord's of heaven army. And looking back in verse 11, like saying your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. And just in our terms, it can be, you know, a car or a washer and dryer that should be long gone and overdue. But it lasts you, you know, an extra four or five years. You know, and theoretically, that extra four or five years and saving you, you know, whatever a wash and dryer would be these days, you know, an extra, you know, twelve hundred dollars or whatever that would cost to have a wash and dryer or your food or just any little small stuff in regards to that. Because this is an example of the certain time that they're living in that he's talking to them like your crops will be abundance because that's how they that's how they made their living. That's how they exchanged and got possessions and money during that time. And so with us, it can be a, 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 a lot of different reasons that can relate to that verse in 11 when it says your crops will be abundant for I regard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of the heaven armies like that was he's talking about. He's saying and all nations will call you blessed. For your land would be such a delight and getting into the the windows of heaven thing, because that is a that is a hot button topic when people say, oh, the windows of heaven and the blessings. And, you know, well, you ain't got no blessings. You know, the windows of heaven ain't open. You still you still broke or you still in the same predicament you was in. So clearly tithing or giving a tenth didn't work for you. And I want to address that. and so. Those windows of heaven, instead of automatically thinking about money, handouts, you know, mysterious checks in the mail, which to be truthful, all could still be a possibility. But what about visions, dreams, opportunities, ideas and instructions? Those things are primarily what the windows of heaven and blessings are pointing to, like with Abraham. After he gave a tenth or he tithed to Melchizedek, the Lord gave him a vision. Remember in verse 15 or in chapter 15, when he was saying after these things. And so after these things includes when Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. And so the Lord gave him a vision, then instruction. And that instruction started to establish his name becoming great on the earth. It wasn't something that happened overnight, but it came over time or accumulated over time. What if he never followed those instructions, though? He wouldn't have manifested all that God had for him. See, in us today, if we have a vision or some instruction, we may not think too much about it and not even attach that to 
tithing because then we would have to put in effort to follow and interpret the instruction, the vision, the dream, the opportunity or idea. See, we've been conditioned to want microwave results with little to no effort on our part. Not saying receiving from God should be hard, but too many times we treat it as a formula instead of a process. It would be great if we could just roll out of bed and have all the stuff we need to get done to walk out the door to get ready for work, like with no effort. But most but for the most part, most of us on a good day, it may take 30 to 45 minutes to be ready to leave the house. See, there is no telling how many visions, ideas, opportunities and instructions the Lord has tried to get over to us over the years for those that do tithe. But we're too busy looking for the quick fixes, the handouts and something to happen all of a sudden, which, like I said before, can happen. But those are more so like the outliers than the general standard. And because of that, people stop believing or just say tithing is a scam and doesn't apply anymore. Like one of the biggest lies I've I've ever heard about tithing is that people have gone broke from doing it. Like I'm sure some people will verify that claim, but I can say with confidence that nobody has ever gone broke from tithing. Like people have gone broke from not being good stewards with their money. Like I knew people that budgeted a couple hundred dollars a month for liquor and they never went broke. And you know why? Because they made sure they moved the rest of the money around good enough to satisfy the rest of the needs of the household. If you go broke over any expense or in this case tithing, that means you're not properly handling what you have already. Or are you just doing some reckless spending, period? All right, this next uh, verse here, I want to get into Romans and Romans 12. And in Romans 12, this is talking about being a living sacrifice. It's just the first two verses. And it says, so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Like when you look at this verse, you know, some people may wonder, like, how can how can I give my body to God to be a living sacrifice in this new covenant in a way that we can worship him? Of course, some of the obvious answers, we can abstain our bodies from, you know, fornicating, you know, for those that are not married, you know, jacking off, pleasuring yourself, et cetera, you know, not putting harmful substances, drugs in our body, not watching or indulging certain things on TV. But how about how we make a living? Like any industry or craft that we do, we use our physical body. Do we not? You know, whether that's singing, you know, you may work at a factory or something like that. You're using your hands, you know, your feet. You may play video games for a living. So you're using your hands, your eyes, you know, or whatever. You know, you're using your physical body to make a living. Like, what do we get for the labor that we put in at work? We get money. So is it possible to worship God with our money? Absolutely. Tithing is the ultimate worship 
because we spend the majority of our time doing something to make a living. Some even work 50 to 60 hours a week. And what better way to honor God and to say thank you than giving him a tenth of all that time and hard work we put in five, six days a week. Tithing is the bare minimum. I will say that tithing is just scratching the surface. And this is not in the Bible, but this is what I believe Holy Spirit has revealed to me. Like God made a tenth scale, the tithe, however you want to word it. He made a tenth scale so we wouldn't have to think about what we need to do or where we need to start. Like the human mind can be intimidating and he knows one of three things will happen. Either one, we will reason our way out of something. Two, we will give just enough to satisfy our own desires and bank account. Or three, the enemy will manipulate us like the king of Sodom tried to do Abram in Genesis 14 and tell us to keep it all. And at the end of the day, y'all, believe it or not, God is not interested in collecting our money. He's interested in what's attached to the money, which is our heart, which goes into the next set of verses I want to get into. And that's in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. That don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And anybody that knows that when you become a believer, when you ask the Lord to be in your heart, you ask him to be in your heart. You know, it's a heart attachment that goes into that. And so now the Lord is basically saying in this, I know your heart where I know where your treasure's at. You know, wherever we spend the majority of our coins, our money is where our heart is. The Lord has basically said we can use all the mouth work we want and say how dedicated we are and that we have all this knowledge and we do this and do that for this person. But the proof will always be in the pudding or in this case, in our financial accounting. Can we truly say we love the Lord with all our heart? but we spend more money on season tickets to our favorite football team, our basketball team than we do to the causes that affects God's church. Like if we spend more money monthly on monthly subscriptions and technology than we do giving to our local church or wherever we're being fed God's word. Like, can we truly say we love the Lord? Because if we love the Lord, it'll be a priority to tithe or to give to ministries, organizations that care about the body of Christ. Like some will say that's an exaggeration, but the word says, I'll know if you're about that life when I see where the majority of your treasure is going. Like, how do we store treasures in heaven? By committing our resources. That's our money, our time, our talents to his work in this world. And one of the best ways to fulfill all three at the same time, it's by tithing, you know, to a good church, a good church or ministry. And usually we use our talents to make money and it takes our personal time to accumulate more of it. So for those that don't believe in tithing 
And if that's what you want, you know, do you not here to argue with you or whatever. Um, but I do wonder, I, I wonder what standard or mark do you use to give and how often do you do it? You know, is it based on your emotions, your mood, how you feel in a certain time, your circumstances? You know, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. And so, um, Again, I appreciate you all for listening. Uh, Leave a comment under wherever you're listening to this episode. Like the podcast and find me on Facebook. Facebook, you can find me on with uh, Preacher Man with Jamal Brown. Again, that's P-R-E-A-C-H-A, Preacher Main, M-A-N, with Jamal Brown. And Jamal is spelled J-A-M-A-A-L. And you can also... Hit me up on Instagram too. Newly got a uh, Instagram page, and so on Instagram it is preacherman underscore jb. Again, on Instagram it's preacherman underscore jb. Check me out. I'm going to try to get more content out more often. But until then, y'all, salute.